You're listening to the best of the day. I say you the, you the best. Halford and Bruff. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. I mean, part of this job is being a man and doing your job. I'm a man! I'm 40! As here's Jarvis with a step on Ekman Larson going to the Vancouver goal. Oh, shot stopped by Deco Rebound in front. They score! Sebastian Ajo. Hey! Phil? Phil? Hey! Phil Connors, man! I think people have to realize uh, how long rebuilds are. Good morning, Vancouver. 6 o'clock on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintec Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. His name is A-Dog. They call him Andy Cole. Good morning, A-Dog. Good morning. And his name is Greg. Sometimes we call him Laddie. Good morning, Laddie. Hello, hello. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. I told you we are coming to you live from the Kintec Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason... Tell the people a little bit more about Kintech. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Laddie, good work on getting the Ned Ryerson clip into the intro. The Canucks, as I tweeted out last night, are officially into the part of Groundhog Day where Bill Murray's character just punches out Ned Ryerson because he's sick of seeing him. Needle nose Ned. Ned the head. Yeah. Got shingles real bad in high school. Mm-hmm. Who's Ned Ryerson in the third period? I don't know. That's no, a good I question. think it's just this part of the season. Just it's just seven games in. It's Ned's yeah. it's a Ned season yeah. as we like to call it here. Yeah. It's Groundhog period. Day, man. It's Groundhog Day. The Every third, day is different. Yeah, yeah I guess the third the period I guess the third periods are the groundhog day part of it though. The Canucks hate them. And we need to punch, workshop. And they well, want to punch they, them out. They hate them or they're scared of them. One of the two. We have a big show today, as a matter of fact, on the Halford and Ruff show on Sportsnet 650. It's not Groundhog Day here. We keep bringing you new and exciting content day after day. It might sound the same and it might feel the same, but it's different. 6.30, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN is going to join us. Uh, we'll go around the NHL, maybe try and look outside of our loser bubble here and see what's going on with these other teams in the National Hockey League, ones that have a victory to their credit, mm. and that's every other team in the NHL. Right, so we've got... 31 teams to choose from. So many choices. Yeah. So many options. Uh, We are great. Uh, We are going to talk a lot of Canucks on this show, though. 7 o'clock, Chris Faber from Canucks Army and Canucks Conversation. 8 o'clock, it's the Drancer to talk more Canucks as we look back on yet another loss. 0-5-2, winless in their first seven. So many red L's. So many red L's with this team right now. Uh, There are a bunch of games in the NHL tonight that have nothing to do with the Vancouver Canucks. If you want to watch hockey and be thoroughly enjoyed, or at least partially enjoyed by it, lots of games there, NBA games, Champions League, there's a lot of stuff on the table, but we need to once again start what happened in a familiar fashion. So boys, take it away. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. No. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? For the seventh, count it, seventh consecutive time to start this season, the Vancouver Canucks 
lost the hockey game. This too, a 3-2 decision to the visiting Carolina Hurricanes on Monday night at Rogers Arena, a game in which the Canucks only lost by one goal. We're outshot by many, many more than that. And at the end of the day, failed to emerge yet again with a victory. Yeah, Halford there mentioned the shots on goal. Vancouver was outshot. 39 to 16. Is that bad? And lost 3 to 2 to Carolina Monday night at Rogers Arena, falling to 0 5 and 2. And once again, once again, and we're even, we're, we're at this point earlier than they were last season, once again, needing a miracle really to get back into the playoff race. Uh, the Canucks had a defense of yikes. Yeah. That's 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 how you Yikes was partnering yikes. Uh it was OEL and Myers, Rathbone and Burroughs was a second pair. And remember Guillaume Brisebois? Yeah, he's still in the organization. Brisebois. He was called up and he played with Luke Shen. Uh and that's because Quinn Hughes is week to week with an undisclosed injury. I wonder if it came because he was playing so many minutes. I guess we'll never know. Uh Pullman is unfortunately on LTIR, I assume that the migraine issues are popping up again for him, and that's just really unfortunate from um, a human perspective. You know, I, 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 I've known some people that have suffered from migraines, and I'm sure people listening have either suffered from them or know someone who suffered from them, and they are a miserable experience. So um, Tucker Pullman, you know, we just hope you can uh, get better, get back to playing hockey. And most importantly, get better um, and get back to feeling normal again. Uh, but this Canucks team, this is not a normal start for the Canucks. Uh, last night against Carolina, against a very good team. This Hurricanes team is a Stanley Cup contender. And they were just so clearly better than the Canucks last night. I know a lot of people were saying after the game, and perhaps the this is evidence of the bar being lowered already in seven, the seventh game of the season. Or maybe they're looking at the Canucks defense and the injuries they've got and going, well, what do you expect? Um, you know, people were saying that it was a good effort from the Canucks. Again, they're outshot 39-16. And they were tied one all going into the third period. And they got three shots in the third period at home. They're winless. I don't know, man. I, I realize where they are right now. I'm having issues calling that a good effort. Uh, they had a rough start to the game when they gave up a power play goal. 6-0-6 into the proceedings at Rogers Arena. <laughs> Rod the Bod, the head coach, Rod Brindamore, the head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes, made kind of a silly challenge on a disallowed goal that would have made it 2 to nothing. Gifted the Canucks a power play, which JT Miller scored on. Uh, the second period was scoreless. The Canes were way ahead on the shot clock. But I did think the Canucks had a reasonably strong finish to the second period. And that set up a huge third period. And we all wondered how they'd come out in that third period after they laid a gigantic egg Saturday against the Buffalo Sabres. And you remember... Head coach Bruce Boudreaux saying afterwards, like, I don't get how you come out and have a third period like that. Well, maybe it wasn't quite as bad. There were no jerseys thrown on the ice, but the Canucks once again kind of fell flat on their faces. 
Carolina scored two quick goals to start the third. Was one of them kicked in? Yeah, I thought so. But they still scored two quick goals. And, you know, honestly, I, I'm trying to find some humor from this season. And the funniest part of the night, for those watching at home, was when the broadcast panned the crowd in the third. And there was a guy wearing an Elias Pettersson jersey. And he did a massive yawn. Yawn guy. I saw like, a yawn guy. It was, it was an enormous yawn. And I was kind of laughing because I was thinking of the guys in the in the is it the truck? Do they have a truck? Yeah, they it is. the guys in the truck that were like, "Ah, oh, we panned on the wrong guy." You just do you do you do a yawn or, or what, what do you do? Like, do you, you make pan, a yawn? Maybe they pan to the right guy because not only did that kind of exemplify the mood and the building of that because it wasn't mm. angry last night. There was no. There was not it a. Was, kick. It was. It was Trent Yanni. Yes, it was Trent. Very well, well done. <laughs> Did it bother you more than one of my yawns in the morning? Jason does not uh, like yawning no. as a practice. He, he finds it weak. Weak. Uh, no. Well, now I'm. Now I'm starting to think about it. Maybe my show is really boring if people are yawning through it because it's just Greg. That's why. I, yeah, you're like Buster Bluth. Yeah. <laughs> Give him a juice bottle. You're not talking goalies. Fun. I don't care. Um, so anyway, the mood in the building wasn't super angry last night. It wasn't like the opener. There was not a cacophony of booze. There was no jerseys being thrown on the ice. It was mm-hmm. just I, a buddy of mine was in the arena yesterday, and he's like, the, in the third period, after the two goals in the first couple of minutes, he said the air has just been sucked out of this place. Yeah. It was just flat. So when they pawned, or sorry, pawned, when they panned to yawn guy, <laughs> not only did it reflect the mood in the building, but it also sparked the team. Yeah, JT Miller scored shortly thereafter on the old classic play, bank it off Kakanyemi's face. <laughs> was that was that Tyler Myers who did that? Yep, that was that was basically exemplified the way the Canucks moved the puck. It was a set last play. Night. It was a set play. That's you know they say like get pucks in deep or off Kakanyemi's face. They practice that at the and end. you just take your chances from there, guys. Um, you know how we've compared moving the puck in the NHL to playing quarterback in the NFL or the CFL. If uh, if that's true, then who was the Canucks defense last night? Like, was it a first pairing of Mitch Trubisky and, I don't know, like Mac Jones, based yeah. on what we saw Mac Jones had last Sam night? Sam Erlinger? We'll get to that later. Sam Erlinger. I, I, like, you know, was it Russell Wilson, uh, uh, you know, like moving the puck there? But he kind of... You know, it looks like the Denver Broncos offense trying to move the puck out of their own end, right? I'm I'm glad you brought this up because we've yesterday I did this, right? I harped. I'm like, you, we we can't be lost in all of this, that they might be icing the worst defense in the National Hockey League right now. And maybe one that there might be, I mean, without Hughes, it's three of the six guys are AHL caliber, maybe more. But anyway, the point being that is. One of the problems that this team has, you would think that a terrible defense would be the fundamental problem, mm-hmm. but it's not because there's there's problems everywhere. I'm gesticulating wildly just to exemplify how many different ones there are. So you can break down the defense or lack thereof in any way, shape or form. And you'd be absolutely correct in saying this is a major reason why this team is 0-5 and 2. But guess what? There's a whole bunch of new problems that we got to unpack you know, call Doc, Dr. Finkelstein. We got new stuff we got to talk about, right? Now, the big one is the third period. The third period 
has become what holding a lead was through the first few games. <laughs> it's the new blown lead. It's unbelievable. Of course, the third period was part of those blown leads. Right, but now they're not going into the third with leads. <laughs> the now they still go- suck. Now they're just going into the third period with a hope of winning the game, or at the very least, sending it to overtime. And that's the last two games at home. And the numbers are so slanted in favor of the opposition. I can't remember what the goal total is. I think it's 15-1. to 1. You know what was remarkable last night was the Canucks give up those two early goals to Carolina. So it's 3-1 early in the third. And we talk about score effects in the game of hockey, and often the team with the lead, I won't say lets their guard down, but they go into more of a defensive posture. Carolina didn't, or maybe the Canucks just couldn't go into an offensive posture. Like they couldn't get the puck out of their own end. They couldn't set up in Carolina's end. Mm -hmm. So score effects never really kicked in last night, despite despite this is this is what's got to drive Bruce Boudreau uh, absolutely crazy. That his team was trailing by two goals in the third period. They're winless. They're at home, and they finished the third period with three shots. Like I know the defense is bad. I know there's injuries. I know Carolina's really good. But three shots? 15 to three were the shots. Three shots? It it looks like they are paralyzed with fear right now. That's how I'm seeing their game, like absolutely paralyzed with fear. I'm pretty sure that part of the message from the coaching staff has been to knock off the high-risk plays. But <laughs> Mission part accomplished of the, last night. But part of the problem with that is, you know, like if you're not a very good team and you're not taking any chances – then you're just going to get pinned the whole time. Because or you're going to rely gonna... on banking the puck off the face of an opponent for offense. Yeah, I mean, if you if you can't bank it off the glass yeah. to get it out of the the zone, you know, the next best play is to <laughs> bank it off Kokiniemi's face, and maybe you get a lucky bounce that JT Miller can pounce on. But you bring up it's a... dire, man. Yeah. It is. It is. It is. It's dire, and I know people are probably uh, pretty tired of us saying how much of a disaster this season is, but it's seven games in and man, they're done. They're done for this season. They got to, they, they got to figure out what they're going to do for the rest of the season. Cause this is over. So let's hear from Canucks head coach, Bruce Boudreau now on exactly what Jason was talking about, not calling the season over. Cause that would not be wise by a head coach seven games into the year, but talking about first the third periods and just how problematic they are for his team. Here is Bruce Boudreaux following a 3-2 loss to Carolina at home on Monday night. The starts in the third period, you know, uh, here you are tied with Carolina, one of the top five teams in the league, going into the third period, and we did the same thing last game. We we came out with, we just weren't, uh, there was something like we're afraid to push. I mean, you saw when we scored the goal, we pushed and we finally got some a zone time and everything else but it's like they're standing around look and looking like oh what's going to happen now and it's unfortunate because I think they all care and this is where Boudreaux started to go down the road yet again of the mental makeup or lack thereof mental fragility too much of it of his squad you use the term paralyzed by fear again we are seven games into a brand new season seven and things like mentally weak 
paralyzed by fear, not only are being thrown about, but are being referenced by the head coach who had to say, and I quote, I am not a psychiatrist. Here's more from the head coach, Bruce Boudreaux. I'm not a psychiatrist. You know, I mean, sometimes coaches have to be. But, I mean, uh, uh, I think the fear, of, the, f- the fear of winning is, is a, something. Uh, they don't want to make the mistake to be the ones that, that lose the game. But, in, in effect, when you're doing that, that's what you do. You become the, the player that makes the mistake because you don't, you, you don't play forward. You're playing waiting. I mean, their first, their first goal in the third period, we had guys waiting instead of, like, I mean, uh, and the second second goal, we were watching the puck instead of, and they turn it around. and And I thought in the second period we defended pretty good, especially when we were killing penalties. And so I was a little, obviously, very disappointed. Uh, in the first two minutes, we're looking at a three-one deficit. So when will someone do something about this? Because it doesn't look like it's turning around on the ice. Really. And- everyone's everyone's staring at uh, management, whether it's Jim Rutherford or Patrick Alvin. Uh, we got the president of hockey ops, Jim Rutherford, the general manager, Patrick Alvin. Uh, Jim Rutherford, of course, was on national TV on Saturday night, and he just seemed like he was as frustrated as everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, and he said this a few times um, in other interviews, that we don't want to make a panic move. We don't want to make an emotional move. Uh, but surely he's going to make a move soon. Surely, this is Jim Rutherford we're talking about. This is a guy that in Pittsburgh would regularly make at least, it wasn't like a blockbuster trade, but he would make a move. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like Tanner Pearson was usually involved, and he's got Tanner Pearson right now. It's true, it's right there at the ready. Uh, I don't know if Tanner Pearson is tradable. I I don't know what the trade market is, is like. We do have to acknowledge, once again, the flat cap. Um, but it, it is just like something's, something's got to give because the team last night, people will say it was a better effort, but that's a low bar to get over compared to Saturday's effort against the Buffalo Sabres. I guess it was a better effort, but again, they're outshot 39 to 16. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe one of the, maybe one of the decisions that management makes is wave the white towel on the season and go, it's not going to happen this season. So let's start planning for the future. But then when I say that, I'm like, yeah, but what is that even looking I know. look like? I've, what's the what's the yeah. point? What's the point of that? Right? Like, what does you, it even mean? Well, okay. You have a fire sale. But yeah, but y- you can't really do that at this down. point of the season. I know you can't. You, you can't, can't do anything. No, no, no. But like you know, especially in a flat cap environment, in a lot of cases, you just have to wait until the trade deadline or maybe the off season to make your move. So mm-hmm. we're sitting here seven games in. The team looks terrible. There's all sorts of injuries. I don't know how Quint Long Quinn Hughes is going to be out. I imagine he's going to miss at least a couple more games. Thursday in Seattle, Friday against the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's week to week, so I mean, it doesn't sound like he's going to be back uh, imminently, right? So, without Quinn Hughes on the back end, that defense is what things are going to look like. And we talked about this a few times in the off season. We were like, man, what happens if Quinn Hughes gets injured? And we were all like, kind of like, Oh, it'll be bad. Well, that's bad. We're in there right now. So the chances of a turnaround right now, especially with Hughes being out in the way the team is playing 
the psychological makeup of the team, it just seems very unlikely. But but if you're kind of like like, can you just you're gonna fire the coach? What's what's that gonna do? Like, who are you, are you gonna bring in a big name coach? I doubt it. Mm-hmm. So what are the what are they gonna do? It just I bet Jim Rutherford is thinking there sitting there going like, man, I want to do something big. I want to do something significant. I want to do something bold. I just you know I wanted to fix the defense too, but you know like I just it, perfectly I, honest where this season is trending is exactly how last season trended the loss the string of unacceptable results and losses has come at a slightly different time if you go back to last year this time last year the Canucks were still three three and one through seven games it was after this point where thing the bottom really fell out right up until the start of December and then when that happens the group started to play like they had nothing to lose Bruce Boudreaux came in there was the change in general managers and all of a sudden the team started playing, yeah, whatever, let's just go out and play hockey because their season at that point was done, right? Whatever they were, 6-15-2. I can't remember the exact record when Travis Green was dismissed as head coach. But Bruce Boudreaux came in, and there were no pressure, and there was no expectation. And that's probably what's going to happen this year. You keep saying, is this the low point? Is this the low point? Start reimagining that conversation. Just imagine everything is a general low point. And then at a certain point, the team will they will win games this year. I hate to break this. They will. Yeah. Yeah. They'll, yeah they'll, of course they will. They'll probably string something together when, again, all the pressure has been alleviated and all the expectations have been removed, where they'll win like four or five or five or six, and we'll be like, oh, look at this. They'll 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 gain some menta- momentum against a team that's going through struggles itself. It is ridiculous to think that like the the concept of waving the white towel. It's not even a conversation you can have because you said, like, what does that look like? Do they stop playing? Mm-hmm. They shut guys down, right? Would you play- yeah, how would this team even tank for Bedard? Would, like, besides, besides telling them, like, you better Andy, not. Andy, you better, it, sounds, you better. it sounds like an Andy conversation. Just keep doing what they're doing, baby. It'll but happen. It It'll won't. all come it, into place. It, 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 I don't think it will. It's impossible. I don't think it will. Oh, come it on, is, have faith. It is physically, it is physically <laughs> impossible. Now we have to have them. faith that they're going to lose. <laughs> That's all we got now. I will say this. If they continue to ice a defense like they have, yeah, the chances of getting points goes remarkably low. Yes, because just to, again, it's not necessarily just that Quinn Hughes is out of the lineup. It's that when healthy, I repeat, if everybody on this blue line was healthy, it was often graded out as adequate as at best in the National Hockey League. Right, you know, you know, I did a I did a uh, interview on Fan Five Ninety with Born and Kipper yesterday. Oh, look at you! And uh, okay, you do them too, <laughs> big Toronto guy. And I didn't get the call. But well, they fine. they asked me like, where did things go wrong? And I said, you know, I mean, it's a long list to choose from. And I said, it, you know, in terms of like actual moves that they made, they've made two disastrous ones, in my opinion. One is the Oliver Ekman Larson trade, and one is extending J T Miller. Can you imagine if they hadn't done those? Be just a, imagine if they yeah. hadn't they, if they hadn't if they hadn't done those moves, how much more flexibility? It's an awful lot of cap space. They would have uh, they would have had. Now, how they would have used that flexibility, I don't know, but they would have had more flexibility. Um, and you wouldn't be staring at this situation that you've got right now with JT Miller, who did score two goals last night. But once again, if you look at his underlying numbers, you know. 
it's not good enough. I mean, it wasn't good enough for anyone on the Canucks in terms of the underlying numbers, so I'm not going to pick on JT Miller for actually scoring goals last night. Um, but it, it should be noted that he played the wing last night, right? So if the conclusion after all this is that JT Miller is better on the wing, then the Canucks have an issue at center because they got Pedersen and Horvat. but as someone texted in, there's no way Bo Horvat gets re-signed now, right? I'm like, I would be shocked if Horvat re-signed. First of all, does Horvat really want to stay anymore, considering what's happening? Uh, considering the, the the Canucks have prioritized other players like JT Miller. And also, if you're ownership or you're the management, are you really going to lock into another player long term? Well, for what? For this? It's not even a, a player, right? It's the leader of the team. It's the guy whose captaincy has presided over some of the worst years, aside from the Boudreaux bump last year, which I don't know if you're going to put on Horvat. But, yeah, it's a great point to bring up. I look at all – so, again, you we've cherry-picked about five or six different uh, fundamentally troubling issues with the team. And it's not something that you can fix seven games into a season with – a very flat salary cap with the understanding that no, is there a general manager out there right now that's looking at Alvin and Rutherford and picking up the phone and being like, Hey, can I help you guys out? <laughs> is there any trade we can make that can make your team better? Oh, everyone wants to go to Vancouver now to get their two points and get out of town. Well, we'll get into this later in the show, but even tearing it down, like people say, well, just tear it down. Even that isn't all that easy unless you want to do what a lot of people don't want to do, and that is trade guys like Thatcher Demko, Quinn Hughes, or Elias Pettersson. If those guys are untouchable, how many first-round draft picks could they even accumulate by tearing it down? I, I like know. Most of the contracts, <laughs> some of the contracts they've got, they, they need to pay to get rid of. Like they're not getting anything. They're paying to get rid of. Mm-hmm. With the that's the Jason Dickinson trade, right? They gave up a second round pick. Yeah, they got Riley Stillman, but you know, does Riley Stillman look like much of a player to anyone? Right, and this this is why I keep saying like all due respect to this line of conversation, but it's so abstract and so in the future that it's hard to say. Like you're you're saying like how many first round picks can you get for player X, Y, and Z? Maybe Horvat, you can get a first round pick. <laughs> Maybe, but in in what climate? Right when you're. Unless you're going to maybe consider doing it as a deadline rental for a cup contender. Mm. In which, no, I think you get a first for Horvat. Really? Because yeah, in yeah. The, in no, that, for sure. Okay, but in that instance, if, if you're going, we're going to trade him. Let's just work this out hypothetically. Mm -hmm. We're going to trade him to a team that's going into the playoffs and has aspirations to win a Stanley Cup. How many teams are you talking about? How many teams are you honestly negotiating with at that point? Four? Five? It's not the entire playoff field. A lot, because again, a lot of playoff teams are going to say we're going to give up a first round pick for a guy who's going to be here two months. I don't know if yeah, that's where it happens. I mean, uh, yeah, it does. I, listen, let's not let's not get bogged down on but it. That's but, what I'm saying. That's but, where all these conversations go. But, right? but my whole point is like tearing this thing down. If you say you know Pedersen, Hughes, and Demko are uh, untouchable, then like how how do you even tear it down? But you the the uh, the conversation shouldn't be how the conversation should be how are we here? 
because well we know we're we're here terrible asset management over the years i talked about the the bad contracts they've taken on no, and no, no, that's self-inflicted good. self-inflicted mistakes that's how we're here this is a conversation for management for jim rutherford and for patrick elvin because they signed jt miller to a seven-year extension like five weeks ago and if if you are even in the conversation to have a rebuild after that that is a colossal failing on a variety of fronts, not just the money that you put forth, but also the vision that you laid out. If there is a vision, yeah, what's the vision? I don't even know what the, what, what is the vision. I don't know. Uh, you're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. We don't have a vision either, but we'll talk to Greg Wyshynski coming up. Uh, we'll talk to Greg about the Canucks, what he thinks about this disaster. Make no mistake, the Canucks are the talk of the NHL. You know, the uh, iMac was on with. Jeff Merrick yesterday. Um, I rarely get calls to do radio shows because I typically don't do them because I'm lazy and mm. I'm usually sleeping during the day or something. But I went on with uh, Kipper and Bourne yesterday and we talked about it. And, you know, like, y- you know, people are looking at your situation when you get these requests. Um, the Canucks right now are a disaster. And we'll talk to Wish about them coming up next on Sportsnet 650. It's seven games in, and man, they're done. They're done for this season. They gotta, they they gotta figure out what they're gonna do for the rest of the season, because this is over. That's all, folks. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the day. And Bruff. Six thirty-five on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. Halford and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today. That music can only mean one thing, folks. It is time now for our good buddy Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Mish. Er, wish. Good morning, Wish. What's up, bud? <laughs> Malford, Muff. Malford. Uh, Muff. Good to see you, boys. Um, hey, everybody, at, when I'm done with this, rush over to, to ESPN.com. And check out the thing I, I just promoted, yes. which is uh, a, a Legend of Phil Kessel piece where I have five people that knew the real Phil in his five NHL cities uh, write essays for me, including James Van Riemsdyk and Nick Benino and uh, Daniel Negrano, a uh, pro poker star who, of course, knew a uh, the card play in Phil. It's good okay. stuff. It's really, really good. I think you'll dig it. Okay. Can we talk about this a bit more just to delay talking about the Canucks? Because... Uh, we all well, I, are. I, we, I, I figured I figured we would spend like thirty five minutes talking about the Jets, like <laughs> yeah, being the, the Broncos' third string quarterback. But yeah, let's let's talk about Phil. <laughs> Is uh like what? Can you give us a bit of a teaser on like what would surprise people if they're reading this piece? The thing that was most fascinating to me in in doing this piece was the through line of why he was able to break this record tonight. And the reason why is, I mean, obviously there's a a certain amount of luck 
Um, there's a sneaky amount of conditioning. Uh, everybody talks about how Phil doesn't look like an, an athlete, but could probably like out squat everybody in right. the weight room. But the thing that was the through line through almost all of these essays was this intense competitive streak that this guy has, whether it's playing golf against Clayton Keller, whether it's playing cards against Daniel Negrano, where he actually wanted to have this game set up so he could test his skills against like a world series of poker champion multiple times, um, you know, playing basketball, playing cards on the plane. Um, Nick Benino tells an amazing story about how uh, he and Phil Kessel actually played cards inside the top of the Stanley cup on the way back from San Jose <laughs> when they won. There's this incredible through line of like intense competitive drive behind Phil Kessel that if you look at him, or if you listen to him, um, even talking about setting this record, which seems like he doesn't care about it, um, you'd never get that. And, and so everybody behind the scenes, behind closed doors, away from cameras, sees this, sees this guy as a real, like, snarly-toothed competitor, and we all think he's just a schlub. And that's the big takeaway for me from these essays. How much concern was there from Kessel that he might not even get to this record? There's been a, I mean, he, he said it the other day that, you know, he, there were times when he didn't think that he'd be able to like overcome a, an injury or whatever to, to answer the bell and play a game. But, you know, you boys remember the, the one that it came closest where it, it almost ended. And uh, Clayton Keller in my piece writes an essay about this too, is uh, when his daughter was born right? and they were in Detroit and he played a, a 30 second shift. And then the Arizona Coyotes chartered a plane for him to be able to go and, and uh, see the birth of his daughter. And then he was back on the road with the Coyotes two days later in Toronto. Um, now, granted, the chartering of the jet meant that they couldn't pay their rent in Glendale, and now they're playing in <laughs> ASU. Um, but, I mean, I think it was worth it for him to see his kid born. Small but, yeah, that was pay. the closest it came to him not being able to play in one of these games. But other than that, you know, it's just been sneaky good conditioning and really good luck. I talked to Shane Knighty from the Bruins, um, who wrote an essay about, about Phil's time in Boston. And he said, look, man, to, to not get the freaky um, unexpected injury at any point through 990 games is impossible. Like Shane Knighty almost lost his eye in practice right. uh, on an errant shot. Like these things happen to these guys all the time. And somehow people like Phil and Keith Yandel just were, un, were able to avoid them for, for some reason. So head over to ESPN.com now, all you listeners out there, and check it out. Wish to get the piece up today on Phil Kessel. Uh, you had to take a brief respite from your Phil Kessel reporting to write yesterday about the Vancouver Canucks. Your byline's right there in the headline. I love it. JT Miller insists that winless Canucks are, quote-unquote, not as bad as they look. So <laughs> you get to weigh in on this one. This was written before... Last night, when the Canucks then lost 3-2 to the Carolina Hurricanes. To he actually them. clarified after the game where she was like, actually, you know, I was wrong. We are as bad as – it is I don't as know bad. I saw that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I misspoke. Yeah. Well, you know, first of all, i got to give JT credit. I mean, you know, he was the offense last night, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and he's not a dumb guy. Like, he knows how this thing played. He knows that his comments became headlines and – you know, saying you don't care about the emotions of the fans um, is is a pretty, you know, explosive thing to say in that market that's really hurting right now. But then he goes out and has a great game. So I got to give him credit for it. Like, me, whether it was fuel or whether it was uh, just, you know, 
puck luck, I don't know, but like he he definitely held up his end of the bargain last night. But look, man, it's 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 one thing to have dug yourself a hole like the Canucks have dug themselves, and it's another that you don't have access to a shovel or a ladder or anything right now because of the injuries you're dealing with. Like it's really hard to say, hey, let's rally together and, and beat the Carolina Hurricanes, who many feel could win the Eastern Conference without Quinn Hughes, Besser, a lot of your defensemen. Like, it's, it's, it's compounding things that all of this, this horrible start is happening in conjunction with a, a myriad of injuries that are, are really impactful. And there's no way around. Like, you can't fire the coach and fix Quinn Hughes. It doesn't work like that. So um, it's like a parfait of sadness right now. It's like every layer is a new thing that Canucks fans and, and the team have to deal with. Hey, Wish, do you think they could trade JT Miller even if they tried right now? In in what sense? Because of the contract? Because of the contract, yeah. Totally. Oh, God, of course they could. The guy, you think so? The guy produces, the guy produces incredible numbers. I mean, look, you, you, you may not – I mean, if your argument is about value coming back the other way, I mean, that's a different conversation. But the idea that there wouldn't be a taker for a guy that can play top-line minutes, produce over a point per game – and yeah, he's locked into a long-term deal um, at, at a pretty significant clip, and, and maybe there's some hesitancy to that. But you got to remember that, like for most of for most of these guys in the league, it's it's a short, every every move is a short-term move. And the the bottom line is that, I mean, say what you will about the guy behind the scenes, and, and many people have said many things about JT Miller behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, as a point-producing forward, dude's money and has the versatility to play different positions. Um, in his career, has played up and down the lineup. I mean, there's there's a lot to really love about this guy. But then the separate conversation is like, now that you've tethered him to that contract, what could the return possibly be? Yeah. Um, knowing that, a, you might be you know a sinking ship, and, and b, um, you know, like I said, J- JT Miller doesn't have a you know 100% approval rating uh, throughout the league. Well, the, I mean, the only reason I'm asking is because you know Jim Rutherford the other day said that. The Canucks' preference is still to "quote unquote" retool on the fly, but then he kind of made an offhand remark. I don't know if he was being sarcastic or not, but he just said, Good, "The way we're trending, we might be headed to a towards a rebuild." So, the last few days in Vancouver have been people discussing like what a rebuild might look like. Would you would you just keep Demko, Hughes, and Pedersen, or would they? You know, would they be traded as part of that rebuild? Because part of a rebuild is acquiring first round draft picks, acquiring prospects. And right now there's debate about what the Canucks actually have to trade because for the most part, well, not for the most part, but in, in a lot of cases, they've actually had to pay to get rid of contracts. So there's two things there. One, I thought he was being sarcastic. I saw the interview and just kind of felt it was a throwing your hands in the air and mm-hmm. saying, well, things keep going the way they are. I guess we won't have a choice but to rebuild kind of kind of deal. Um, the second thing is I've noticed that you've mapped out exactly what the Vancouver Canucks should have done last summer, which is to keep Pedersen, Hughes, and Demko together and then trade Besser and Miller, which is what they should have done last summer. And I know there's a lot of Besser fans out there that understand that, but your defense is shambolic half of that defense or one side of that defense is one of the worst things on paper in the league. He has, he has value. Um, maybe not as much as the team believes he should have, but he has value. Same thing with Miller. Um, the, the smart thing to do if you were going to retool on the fly is to trade those guys. 
but you know, in the case of Miller, from everything I've been able to glean, and the, and I think there's been some reporting on this. It's you have the GM and and the, and the team president talking about trying to acquire as many players under the age of 25 as you can, and then you have the person signing their checks who wants to keep JT Miller on the team. So, like, what do you do? You have to acquiesce to what ownership wants, and JT Miller gets a contract extension. So, it's it's really hard, I think, to and, and again, this is we talked about this before the season, like. It's the reason I stayed away from the Canucks as a playoff contender. There's just something rotten behind the scenes. There's like a, a thousand different forces pulling in a thousand different directions. And it all comes back to Jim Rutherford being hired to change a roster built by Jim Benning and then ending up with the same roster that Jim Benning built. Yeah, th- that to me is kind of the more important and pressing question is how did it get to this point so quickly? I'm mostly curious about how this situation is being viewed from outside the vacuum that is Vancouver. Because the reality is if if any of these conversations want to be explored at the highest levels of management, they're going to need to know what the landscape is like, what other people think of their situation, what other people think of their players, et cetera, et cetera. So you're, you know, you're on a national rights holder. You're doing the show with Arda where you're going around the league. What's been the general perception of this? Is it a morbid curiosity? Like, hey, look at the bottom of the standings. There's only one winless team, and it's Vancouver. Is this pushed to the forefront of we have to talk about this team and what a tire fire they are? How is this being viewed from outside this little lens that we have locally? I just think it's morbid. I don't even think it's curiosity. I I think a lot of us want Vancouver to do well because we want to see Elias Patterson and and Quinn Hughes and Thatcher Demko and and all these guys – you know, on a, on a big stage again and, and playing meaningful games and playing exciting hockey. Um, it's, it's a confusing situation in the sense that the Vancouver Canucks hired one of the most successful coaches of the last 20 years and a guy who built Stanley Cup champions in two different cities to try to turn the team around. And it, it seems like in both cases, they're just like treading water yeah. like, or, or stuck in quicksand. I mean, pick your metaphor. So it's confusing too, but you know, that's, it comes back to that thing we were just talking about. Like when you hire two people for these jobs that have been incredibly successful in other places and, and they don't find the same success right away there, and you start to wonder, well, you know, maybe they're not getting the autonomy they need or, or maybe there's other forces at work. And it, it sucks. Like it sucks that Vancouver's bad. You know, I, I think, you know, it's, it's bet, I hate using this phrase because it's the kind of thing that's like, well, Connor McDavid should be playing on the Blackhawks. But like, I think it's better for the league if Vancouver is good. Mm -hmm. It's a really good hockey market. They've got really good young players in their team that can help join the wave of of generational stars. But the other thing about it, too, and this is maybe just me, I do think that, again, like the Canucks run in the bubble seriously warped the perceptions of this core in the eyes of of important people and and made them way too precious, precious to ever trade, which is, I think is a problem for any team in this league. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Do you find the the comments from Jim Rutherford on Bruce Boudreau to be weird, awkward? Uh, I mean, on the on the after hours interview, one of the things that he shared that I think raised a lot of eyebrows in this market was he said, "Well, when I first came aboard, I thought Bruce Boudreau was only under contract for last season." And then it turns out that there's more to the contract than just that. You know, the remarks that he's made about Bruce Boudreaux since almost he got here, 
um, even though the market was absolutely in love with this guy, have just been like not in step with the market at all. And it's mostly been criticisms, frankly. Yeah, because it's not the way things are done. Like if you hire someone to run your team, you don't hire a coach for that person. That's not how you do it. You hire the guy to run your team. And then the guy that runs your team gets to figure out who his coach is. And so there was such a, a, a rush to fix the problem that, that, you know, hiring Boudreaux superseded them figuring out who was going to be in the front office, um, that it, it just threw the whole thing out of whack. And, um, and, I, and if I'm Rutherford, like, yeah, I'm a little pissed off. <laughs> like, uh, you know, you went out and, and hired me, hired a GM, and then, but before that, you, you've decided that this is the coach that you want. And that's just not that, that's not the sequence of things. And so, um, you know, it's inevitably, it's inevitably going to lead to him getting fired. Let's be honest. I mean, yeah. anytime a general manager is hired, uh, they're going to bring in their own person at some point. Um, so I, I think that's really a lot of the sort of ancillary pain of the situation. And, and the other part of that, Jason, that you didn't mention is the fact that like, he's talking about how he didn't know how many years were on Bruce's contract, but the, the, since there was a second year, that's the reason he's back. Like, yeah. It's not because he did a great job. It's mm-hmm. not because he's the guy to lead us. It's not because the X, Y, Z it's because he was contractually obligated to bring this man back is the only reason he's here. Yeah, and that, well, and it, that was laid out pretty bare in that interview. And apparently wasn't given permission to fire him and eat the cost of that buyout, whatever it was, of the contract. Yeah. So, again, like, we look at this and they haven't won a game yet, and should any of us be surprised? It's a mess. <laughs> like, it's an absolute mess behind the scenes, and not in a, in a good, fun 1986 Mets kind of way, yeah, right. in a sad, shambolic, zombie franchise kind of way. Uh, well... That was inspiring. Well, Greg, thanks for doing this today, bud. We really appreciate you taking the time. Again, I recommend everyone go check it out, ESPN.com right now. Really cool piece on Phil Kessel and the five different stories spanning throughout his career in the NHL. And he is now on the verge of becoming the NHL's all-time Ironman. Uh, Thanks, bud. We'll do this again next Tuesday. Absolutely. When you think iron, think Phil Kessel. (laughs) Thanks, Because previously I thought Keith Yandel. (laughs) Exactly. Thanks, Wes. Uh, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. You know, he brought up something really interesting there. Is it from a personal perspective? Can you imagine the Boudreaux and Rutherford careers having this possibly at the end of them? Because these are two older gentlemen, yeah, especially in the scope of the NHL. Mm-hmm. It's very possible that this might be their last NHL gigs, period. And for all the success Rutherford's had as a builder and the multiple Stanley Cup champions and Boudreaux with the 599 wins, I'd really like to see him get 600. Um, to have this at the end, is a re- it's a pockmark on their resumes, to be honest, because not only... Again, now the Boudreaux bump, yes, it exists. Bruce, there it is. Yes, it was very nice. San Jose might be the worst team I've seen on paper. They have two wins. Mm-hmm. Like, it shouldn't be this hard. To even fluke your way into a victory. Well, you, they had some leads. I don't know if you remember the start of the season. I'm aware of how the <laughs> over has happened. But what? Yeah, like saying you had a lead is, I mean, it's insignificant. It means nothing right now. Oh, it makes it worse, I think. Uh, Thursday, the Vancouver Canucks uh, go down to Seattle to play a Kraken team that has a win. They have two wins. Uh, it's a back to back scenario with them. 
Friday they play Pittsburgh, so I'll be curious to see what um, Bruce Boudreaux does with his goaltending. Spencer Martin's only been into one game. That was the loss in Columbus, and frankly, he didn't play very well in Columbus. The goal that Johnny Gaudreau scored on Spencer Martin, uh, that was one of those easy save for Luongos. You know, he was a little aggressive on it, a little Tim Thomasy. On he went for the fake basically, and Johnny Gaudreau was able to wrap it around the net. Uh, there were many other mistakes made by the Canucks on that play that preceded that, but you know that was a save that they needed, and the Canucks have needed saves. And I just wonder if the Canucks are to this point where they're just going to play Thatcher Demko in every game. Well, they've got a couple days off after that Pittsburgh game. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, they've actually got three days off before they host the New Jersey Devils. So I could see it. I don't, I, I, we should probably just, you know, one foot in front of the other uh, before we get to that debate. The Canucks have a day off today. They will practice on Wednesday and then head down to Seattle to play the Kraken. Uh, the Kraken are off to, what would you say, like a so-so start? Very disappointing at home. They've Very disappointing bad. at home. They've been bad at home. Yeah, but have they looked better than people saying they've been looked better? I don't think anyone's been blown. They're minus six goal differential. They've given up twenty seven. Yeah. so they've given up a ton of goals. Okay, uh, but it's so it's a winnable game. It's a winnable game for the Canucks. They're all even, winnable games, Jason. Even without Quinn Hughes, who is week to week, so I I don't expect him to play uh, against the Kraken or the Penguins. The Penguins um, have looked pretty good, although um, the Oilers lit them up last night uh, with five unanswered goals. Yep. So the Penguins will come to town, you know, looking to make up for that performance in Edmonton. Penguins back in action tonight in Calgary, by the way. Okay. Uh, what have we got coming up on the show here? Uh, 7 o'clock, Chris Faber is going to join the program. More Canucks talk to come with Chris Faber from Canucks Army and Canucks Conversation. 8 o'clock, it's the Drancer, Thomas Drance. Uh, he had a big piece on The Athletic that went up overnight after the Canucks 3-2 loss to Carolina, dropping them to 0-5-2 on the season. So we'll talk to Drancer about that. We've got what we learns at 8.30. A reminder to start getting yours in. What did you learn over the last 24 hours in sports? Let us know. Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. We are here for two more hours. The rays of sunshine known as Halford and Bruff. We will keep you going throughout this Tuesday. It's the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.